Before we start today's episode, just to let you know, you can now nominate for the 2025 Northern Power Women Awards. To be in with a chance of celebrating with changemakers, trailblazers and advocates on the 3rd of March 2025. Nominate now at wearepower.net. Women podcast for your career and your life, no matter what business you're in. Hello, and welcome to the Northern Power Women podcast. The Northern Power Women podcast is all about highlighting super fantastic kick ass role models, hearing about their personal stories, find out about how their career has got to where they've got to, um, and literally being able to celebrate all of their achievements and also picking up some of their top tips on the way. And this year, as we kind of roll into International Women's Day in March, what we're doing is we're creating a series. We don't want International Women's Day to be about one day. I think often we as as women can get pulled in every single direction. So we're creating a series, a series to highlight the amazing role models. And this, we're, this year, we're looking at female role models across the world of sports, of which there is such an amazing ascendancy of everything going on across every single discipline of sport. So this week, I cannot wait to talk to the wonderful multi-award winning executive with over 20 years experience though she doesn't look like it at all Yvonne Harrison welcome the chief exec of women in football we've had a good gab before haven't we even got on the air one of our power list uh, you've been at women in football for the last two years you've got a massive passion about equality driving that change and and literally changing lives through sport tell me welcome welcome what's it like how have you been it's been too long. I know, I know. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. God, it's a blast from the past on the power list, isn't it? Um, look at look at where the awards have got to now. Like, it's amazing to see the growth of of your organisation as well, and the, the the wonderful kind of championing you do with women uh, across all walks of life in the north, which is obviously my home, and I'm very passionate about about that as well, like you are. Um, life has been good. Uh, two years at Women in Football, unbelievable growth. Um, lots of challenges along the way, as you would imagine, for women working in the industry. Um, but it's a real privilege to lead this organisation and make a difference to the over 9,000 members that we now have. Um, it's super exciting. Um, and, and I have to say, we, we have really felt a strong desire from organisations in football to push this agenda forward as well. Um, so that's been really interesting to have some fantastic conversations and see the organisations recognising their role in gender equality in football. And that's that's a real key part, isn't it? It's not just about you going, here we go, I'm the chief exec of this organisation, I'm going to make all the change. It's making other people take ownership of that as well, isn't it? It needs that, I suppose, that 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 wider approach, isn't it? It's not just you on your own making all the change. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the diversity is not going to be solved by any one individual, one organisation, one you know, one organisation like ours trying to trying to do that. And I think women in football, you know, it was established in two thousand and seven by a group of female journalists who were, quite frankly, you know, had enough of the sexism uh, that existed within their industry, and it sort of evolved over that period. And now it's really an organisation that wants to work with the industry to create the change because it's everyone's responsibility and 
we know that ultimately if you have more diverse teams and create more inclusive cultures businesses thrive um, and everybody wins in that respect let's take you back to where you started at greater sport um is that where your passion of did you already have the passion for sport or was it getting into that job that got you the the passion around it yeah, I mean, I've I've always loved sport. I loved playing it at school, um, right throughout my school life, from primary school and secondary school, played sport, multiple levels. Um, wasn't like always, I guess when you leave school, you go into uni, you realise like some people are really, really good at it. And I probably wasn't one of them, but at school I was certainly, you know, on all the teams. And I loved everything it gave me, you know, the, the ability to win, to lose gracefully most of the time, um, you know, to communicate, to lead people, to understand the dynamics of teams and everything that sort of brought into my career, really, I, I'll be forever sort of grateful for. But I had that passion. And as I kind of went to uni, I did a leisure management degree at Salford. Um, so it was about as sporty as it got back then, to be honest. Um, and then I um, I just thought I want to work in in the sports industry, and at the time, the Commonwealth Games was coming to Manchester. So, as I was studying, like that was my goal. I want to work on the Commonwealth Games, my home city. How amazing would that be? Um, I did a work placement at Greater Sport as part of my second year um, because the Commonwealth Games team weren't ready yet. It was a little bit too soon for them to take on board any kind of work experience, um, and I, I I'd never heard of this charity before, and it was an unbelievable organization that was very well connected to all of the national governing bodies to sport england and i thought if i want to work in sport like these people like they can really help me so i sort of took it upon myself when i'd done my six-week placement to say look can i stay can i keep coming in and just do i'll do anything like whatever you want so i volunteered for pretty much 18 months as i finished my degree and then i got offered a job um that i went for i applied for two jobs and in the same week i got offered both one was with greater sport um, and one was with the Commonwealth Games. And it was like, oh my gosh, what do I do? Uh, big decision time, first big decision really uh, that I'd had to make. And as much as I really wanted to work on the Commonwealth Games, the role that I had wasn't that amazing. And it would have been finished at that point. Now, it could have led to other things, of course it could, but I just thought I've worked with this organisation. They believe in me. I really respect what they're doing. And I'm going to go with that. And you know, I never look back because, you know, 15 years later, I left having been the CEO for four years and made that complete journey from being a volunteer right through. And um, it was it, to this day, you know, when I became CEO, it was one of the proudest days of my life. It's that, you know, aside from having my, my children and all of that, it was, it was just, yeah, I cried. And then I went to bed. I was absolutely exhausted because I put so much in. There's almost an expectation sometimes. I think if you're in an organization, oh, it's yours, you're going to get that. I was up against people with a lot more experience than me. I'd not been a CEO. I was still a relatively young um, person in a way. And uh, yeah, super proud and learned so much with actually working with an unbelievable board um, who at the time you don't really realise that having worked with multiple boards, um, you kind of go, wow, that was good. And their governance was excellent. And it taught me so much that I've taken forward into, you know, the rest of my career, really. And I think sport has been over the decades always been has felt like a man's space. Um, but have you seen during your um, time at Greater Sport and obviously now women in football, have you seen those pathways and opportunities change? So whether it be coaching, whether it be the wider roles uh, that sit around sport, do you think it's improved? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I you know, I certainly as a younger woman at Greater Sport, when I was going into those committee meetings or you know even boardrooms, sometimes you you felt alone um you know there were 
or if there were women there, they were a lot older than you. Um, but I also had great male allies around me. You know, my former CEO, Richard Saunders, the chairman of Greater Sport, Chris Brindley. I mean, just brilliant people who pushed me. And so whilst I recognised that I was different in those rooms, as I grew in my experience, confidence and knowledge, I then sort of found my voice. Like sometimes I'd be sat there and I'd be thinking of something that I wanted to say and I didn't say it and then that man said it and it was really well received. I think I thought about that an hour ago. Why didn't I just have the voice to be able to sort of bring that to the fore? And um, yeah, so I think over time, absolutely, there's definitely been more women coming into sport and more women pushing pushing further um and i you know we spoke earlier about different people in the industry and we've sort of all grown up in it together and that's really nice but i think there's a real responsibility from certainly a lot of the women that i know as friends and colleagues that to pave the way and to help other women and and young girls and support and that's where you know the work that you do at northern power women the mentoring the giving it back paying it forward all of that stuff is so so important something i'm really passionate about because we have to do that and we know that you know you can see it you can be it and that it is in everything it's officiating it's coaching it's boardroom it, you know it's marketing it's hr it's legal it's everywhere um and i i just get such a buzz from from seeing that growth but there are still challenges uh, we know from our member survey um, there are still a lot of women um 20 only 27% actually who feel encouraged to kind of forge their way to the highest possible echelons within within that football environment so that's nearly three quarters of women who don't feel supported in that way um so there's still work to be done of course with the glass ceilings but i think the more women speak about it the more we're able to celebrate the um successes that women are having the more hopefully it inspires others to think you know i can do that and sport is it's just an amazing industry i mean the highs the lows the everything's you know it's it, you feel really part of something quite special and and you talked before about like chris brindley and some of those you know the, the, the chair uh, richard and um how important is advocacy and allyship you know there doesn't go a week or day without there being some kind of an amazing woman in sport getting some trolling or negativity whether it be on social media or whatever it may be but there's some great guys out there calling it out Gary Neville's called it out Ian Wright called it out and there's many more out there how key is that for this change to I suppose extinct the dinosaurs (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, people people have opinions and that that will always exist and and it should exist. I guess the challenge is where where people bring those opinions into platforms that incite, you know, other people to kind of then jump in and and co- cause issues and problems. And the allyship is really important because gender equality is not going to be solved by women. Like I don't want to speak at a conference about women in football. And it's only women because the people often who are making decisions about the future of the game are men. So it's really important that we have those male advocates. And at Women in Football, we have um, Ben Carter and um, Paul Barber on our board. Paul's the CEO of a Premier League football club. It's really important because they're listened to differently by their peers you know when Gary Neville speaks out he's a great advocate you know I've worked for him for a number of years and he he's our class him as a good friend you know it's important because we don't feel isolated we don't feel because you can feel quite paranoid about 
can I do this? And we know that women do have, you know, a greater degree of imposter syndrome. And it's some of the feedback that we get from females on our leadership course, confidence is a real challenge sometimes when you're in male dominated environments. You know, we, you'd be amazed about how many women get asked, you know, do you like football? Do you know the rules? What you work, you know, oh, you must work in the women's game. Uh, no, uh, you know, and, and our members work right across the industry, both women's and men's football. Obviously, most work in men's football because there hasn't been a women's football industry um, for very long. But we know that women feel, um, you know, held back by their gender. 82% of our members in July said they'd experienced discrimination in the workplace um, in football. And that's a fact. Um, and that's gone up. Now, arguably, it might have gone up because more women are talking about it and calling it out for what it is. It might also be that the levels are increasing. We don't know the ins and outs of that, but what we do know is that's a very high level um, of women experiencing discrimination. And we know that sexism is the biggest kind of um, cause of that. Um, people with you know conscious bias, unconscious bias, all of these things are contributing. So that's quite a hard sell, actually, if you think about inviting women to come and join the industry. And isn't this fantastic? What, 82% feel, you know, we maybe we don't want to be part of that. But we know that that allyship is crucial in shifting the dial and creating those inclusive cultures where the bans doesn't happen and where women don't feel marginalised or where networking events are when women potentially can attend or at least is a variation. So there is an opportunity to get, you know, amongst other people and not just on a golf course or, you know, in a bar late at night or whatever. And I'm not saying all women have children and all women have caring responsibilities, but all women don't necessarily want to be in some of these environments either, just like some men don't and, and non-binary allies. So it's super important that that, that we have people uh, and particularly male colleagues uh, speaking out uh, on our behalf and inviting us into conversations is really easy things that men can do to kind of open the door without even really realizing they're doing it but the difference it makes uh, to people is is quite significant it's that intentional sponsorship isn't it it's not just inviting you into the room it's putting the te- putting the chair out not expecting you to make the tea to be actually partic- participating but what part do you think um money's got to pay we, we know that there's there a real disparity isn't there between funding between um the women's game and the men's game um can we be hopeful about that changing yeah, I think so. I mean, we've seen the government review on women's football um, that Karen Carney led, and then we've uh, recently had the government's response to that, and there's a huge amount of work going on behind the scenes now. The professional leagues are coming out of the FA, they're being established into a new co, and that creates huge opportunities for the commercial growth of the game. I think what people are really interested in is how the women's game grows sustainably. Um, you know, there's all been all sorts of challenges, very public in, in men's football in terms of financial um, situations of clubs and fair play and things like that. So it's important really that as the women's game grows, it does so in a way that um, it can be solid and have a solid foundation. Some of the recommendations which were really important were around kind of um, wage floors because um, the average salary, I think, in the Barclays WSL is about 27k. Now, if you think about that a year, some players are paid as, as little as £8,000 a year to play professional football. Um, show me, you know, male professional footballers really that, that would accept that. Um, it doesn't really happen. But equally, we have to be realistic that, you know, you, even your top players are not going to go and get 
millions and millions and millions of pounds at this stage because there isn't that money within the women's game. So it's about, you know, what what potential we can unlock with um, the new co, with new broadcast rights deals and things like that. And then that interchangeability between, you know, the club and how it invests in uh, both the women's and men's side of the game um, because ultimately women have got a long way to catch up more than 50 years because they weren't allowed to play football. So, you know, there is all of this kind of commercial reality. It doesn't happen overnight. What we do know is more commercial partners are interested in getting involved. We know that the fan base of women's football is very different to men's football and and actually has a lot of purchasing power, but really care about the brands that get involved in the women's game. So it presents a huge opportunity for brands, you know, to position themselves differently um, and really reap the benefit of those growing audiences and, and fandom. And one of the things that came out of last summer uh, and the summer before with the, the Lionesses uh, Euros win and then the, the World Cup final last year is the the real visibility of those role models and them using that power for good. I was invited to number 10 last year on International Women's Day, um, obviously because you can only do things about gender equality on one day of the year. But anyway, um, and I remember seeing um, you know, Jill Scott and the lionesses there. And they. what I loved about that was, you know, there was celebration in that, but there was the absolute using their power for good. We're using our power for good here on this day to ask for change and to drive change. That is really powerful for me. And and I know we see it ag- across parts of, you know, sort of spots of the men's game and um, you know, the likes of your Marcus Rashford's really use it, leaning in and using that power. But the fact that there's that it feels like it's a collective team, everyone's into it, aren't they? Um, to really drive that change and taking that's gonna help us take the sport to the next level, isn't it? Surely. Yeah, definitely. And there, there, there is a, there is a real sense of community within women's football. I think because there's been so much hardship, because there's been so much to overcome to even be allowed to play. And, you know, we heard as kind of the, the build up to the women's Euros, some of the lionesses talk about the fact they had to pretend to be boys to be played. And then when they got discovered, they were kicked out of the team because the girls were beating the boys and heaven forbid that would be a thing. So. Um, I think they've had to fight really hard. And I had the pleasure of interviewing Karen Carney yesterday at an event that we were doing at Women in Football. And she talked about, you know, the role that everybody's played in in getting to that final, you know, over all of those years. So I think I think the sense of community and the drive from everyone involved in women's football for the whole game to rise. So it's not about Lee Williams or Beth Meads earning the most money and getting the best commercial deals at the cost of other people earning £8,000 a year. Like They have a responsibility and they absolutely wear it day in, day out to raise the whole standard of the game, whether that's playing standards, whether that's coaching standards, whether that's you know um, the ability for players' voices to be heard. We launched our Open Doors agenda and we had an event at the House of Lords last year around this because it's almost like when women raise a complaint or an issue, you've got to prove it to the nth degree. We saw what happened at the Women's World Cup with Luis Rubiales. We've seen, you know, that he's he's um he's kind of sanctions on that. But at the time it was actually unbelievable to see how sustained the defiance was and this lack of acknowledgement of anything that was wrong. So Open Doors was really about, you know, transparency, good governance, making sure women's voices are heard. And the Lionesses won the women's Euros. What did they do? Every single girl should have access to football in school if she wants to play it. So what are the schools doing about that? And, you know, we've seen the government respond to certain aspects of that, which is positive, but they'll continue 
to do that. But it puts a lot of pressure on actually, you know, not only have they got to play and earn a living and train, they're then, you know, role models and then they're engaging with the fans and then they've got potential commercial. Like it's a lot on the shoulders of the female um, football players, but they do it brilliantly. And, you know, we just saw Mary Epps when BBC Sports Personality of the Year. You know, she's talked a lot about mental health and being yourself and really advocated and took on Nike, you know, when they didn't have a shirt. It's like these women are real change makers and it makes it a real honour to be in the sport and be able to kind of use those examples to show how not only women's football is growing and can improve, but how women's football can be a catalyst for women's sport and to be recognised and seen as more professional than perhaps in some instances it is because it's, you know, it's where it should be. And what, and this has got to be everything that you've just said there about Mary Epps, about the collective power of the Lionesses saying, you know, every girl needs access to football. What excites you about the future of women's football and women's sport? Um, What excites me the most is that when I think, you know, I've got a teenage daughter and it's, it's the choice that's available to young girls now. Um, You know, that, People couldn't have dreamed that it could have been a professional women's footballer. Like that just wasn't an option, but now it is. Um, you know, people couldn't dream that you could go and run a Premier League football club, but it happens now you can. So for me, it's about choice and inspiration and empowerment. And really, you know, for every woman that's working in this industry, that's saying to somebody that's thinking about it or not even thought it's a possibility yet, you can and you will. And and that that for me is the most the most exciting things about how women's sport can change society, can change perceptions on women do this, men do that. Well, no. I, I, people talk to me a lot at the moment. There's a narrative that's growing around, well, women's football's growing and so isn't that amazing? Yes, it is. Um, so women can go and work in women's football and men can work in men's football. And it's like, no, it, this is about choice. You know, if somebody wants to go and be a physio in the men's game, if they're a great physio, they can go and be physio in the men's game just like they can in the women's game. Equally, if a man wants to go and coach in the women's game or be the MD or GM of a women's team, go for it. Like Whoever's best positioned for those roles, go for it. But don't take the choice away because women's football is growing and therefore we can all be pigeonholed you know, within that. Um, so, so for me, the exciting thing is choice and inspiration and empowering people. Um, and that's where obviously what we do at Women in Football it's about creating pathways. It's about providing education. It's absolutely about challenging discrimination, but it's also about celebrating the amazing women that work in the industry with a view that they can kind of pull through um, others who, who want to kind of go go behind them. So, yeah, I, I'm excited about that. Obviously, women's football is such a critical um, point. Um, it's really on the crest of a wave, and I think there's so many opportunities once the new co is established um we can kind of get a real sense of you know where that's where that's going to go and what the art of the possible is but yeah hugely grateful to the likes of Barclays who are our lead partner but they they support a huge amount of women's football and without those early adopter brands coming in backing it you know it wouldn't be where it is today so yeah I'm excited for what's next really but yeah for me it's always about how do we empower and how do we inspire 
And I think that's it takes us back to exactly where we started. Everyone has a responsibility. Every individual, every parent, every organization, uh, you know, every leader, amazing leader like yourself. And I feel like uh, I feel like it takes back to the 80s. Those who knows, who know, they like be, you know, choose life, uh, choose sport, <laughs> choose your path. I can feel it on a tote, can feel it on a tote bag now. Oh, Yvonne, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you being part of this wider conversation um, as we talk about the whole whole rise and ascendancy of the fantastic things that happen across the whole landscape of sport thank you so much for joining me Yvonne thanks for having me oh and thank all of you for listening uh, please do check out our wider series uh, which has taken us before during and after International Women's Day like we said at the start this is not just about one day we want to keep this conversation going so please join in on all our socials at North Power Women on Twitter and Northern Power Women on all the others and drop us a line podcast at northernpowerwomen.com and stay connected with everything we're doing on our digital hub we are power.net thank you so much for listening my name's simone this is the northern power women podcast what goes on media production Hello.